and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. We're going to talk about the value of endarkment this morning. Many people talk about enlightenment, uh, but we're going to just explore a little bit uh, the other side. And uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the power of the sun and the light uh, that we are to be. And uh, we thank Hannah for a wonderful contribution last week. I hope you enjoyed that when she was talking uh, about her Jewish faith. And it was particularly nice to be reminded that Genesis talks about the evening and the morning are the first day. And I think we've come away from that wonderful truth. Yes, the light and dark were separated, but they never became opposites, just two sides of the same whole. And they were both intended for our good. And uh, it's sad that most of us have a, a very different relationship with the dark than we have with the light and we're going to talk about that this morning and, and Jenny's going to uh, do a great job I'm sure later on uh, but I just want to give a little introduction and what do we mean about darkness um, it's interesting because you know we all have a different view uh, and that word conjures up different thoughts for all of us but if you look at the dictionary it just says darkness is the partial or total absence of light well that makes sense doesn't it but it also says, and it's very interesting how the dictionary really, um, it, it offers societal and cultural understandings as well as meanings. And it says this, also wickedness or evil, the forces of darkness. Interesting, isn't it? So every one of us will have a different understanding of it that comes from our personal experiences. You may understand dark emotions. You might understand uh, dark um, feelings uh, in your being, dark thoughts, the darkness that comes from feelings of loss or just that plain sense of not knowing where you're going. And I might not know or understand what darkness means to you, but I certainly know what it means to me. But I doubt there are many of us who do not relate to being told as children, it's time to come in now because it's getting dark. And um, there seemed to be a universal agreement that when the darkness descended, it was no longer safe to be outside. Uh, however, for some of us, it didn't matter whether we were inside or outside, because guess what? The darkness was still there. Now, Christianity, for me, never had anything good to say about darkness, and darkness was synonymous with sin, ignorance, spiritual blindness, and death. And it was our job to stay in the full light of God's sun around the clock, 
Because God identified with the sunny side of faith while all the sinister stuff was in the dark part. The night wasn't safe. Why else would the Bible tell us that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil? Who learned that one in Sunday school? I certainly did. It was really knocked into me, that one. And to make it worst of all, this darkness had a prince, the prince of darkness. I remember as an infant at school reciting a prayer at the end of the day as we put our chairs upon the tables and it was this, lighten our darkness, we beseech thee, O Lord, and by thy great mercy, defend us from the perils and dangers of this night through Jesus Christ our Lord. Come on, how many? Any? Any remember? I do, we said it every day at 3.30 when we went home. So what's the kids supposed to do? with that. It's information that you can do without, isn't it? So it sets one up for a very very unhealthy relationship with darkness. And I was traumatised by it and spent a lot of my life not being light, being the light, but trying to expose it and eliminate it wherever I could find it. I was a policeman on permanent night shift, watching religiously for whenever and wherever darkness showed up. You could say I suffered from a bad case of solar affective disorder. If we could only find enough light switches, everything would be okay. We were so preoccupied with keeping the lights on that we were never given the skills for operating in the dark. We tried to live in an incomplete half world, just the sunny half, and didn't stop to ask what light means without the dark. What is our answer to darkness? Well, for me, it was turn on a light. But however you define it, what do you do when the darkness does descend on our lives? Do we just blame ourselves and settle to the fact that we didn't have enough faith? Or is there a truer truth to be learned? What I do know is that whatever darkness you are going through at this time in your life, You need to experience a light that has nothing to do with your eyes. In the dark, your eyes are useless. And often it's your determination to keep seeing with your eyes that causes the struggle to go on. So can we explore the darkness with our faith rather than using faith to try and eliminate all traces of it? Over the years, I have learned to walk in the dark I have learned to talk back to it and breathe into it. I have found that it's friendly. I have realised that at night God doesn't turn the world over to some other wicked deity. But it's a vital part of God's day. But the dark does come first. Resurrection happens in the dark. Birth happens in the dark. No longer is my strategy to to yell for help anymore and to turn on a light. If I can just sit with it, it's the place where I can find out who I really am. So there's a scripture in Isaiah that says that there are treasures to be found in the dark. Do you want to find out what those treasures are? Well, rather than looking for a light switch, maybe it's time to be guided by your other senses and maybe the light of the moon. You know, when something feels like a good idea and then you think, oh yeah, that was cheerful. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That you sometimes have to think it through. But you got the boy. <laughs> Um, right, where were we? Okay, we've heard some, some possible definitions um, this morning as to what darkness might mean. And of course, it does mean different things to different ones of us. And it can lead us to various um, behaviours depending on how we see darkness. And we learn those things over time and then they're just our go-to autopilot moments. So I'm going to give you some examples. And obviously, I'm simplifying for the purpose of illustrating, but you might recognise some of these. Because if your definition of darkness is to do with demons and sin and death, it's almost going to be that you have to tend to eliminate all of those things. If your um, definition is to do with danger, you are going to be someone who's quite keen to avoid. If it's to do with that absolute sense of despair, you're going to tend to want to find solutions that will help you be happy and feel better sometimes at whatever cost and if darkness for you is the difficult events that you've been through or are going through they tend to be really defining moments that set a direction for our lives and we talked about a few weeks ago those post receptive judgments and what you tell yourself and judge about those events can then carry into every other event in your life even when it's not actually of any relevance and if darkness is what you don't know you feel oh, well, I'm just in the dark. That's when we want to tend to control and worry and fight and resist so that we have that. So whatever your definition of darkness is, it's going to be leaning you towards certain types of, of navigating that. So understanding our relationship with it is important, not because we want to depress you, like the video, but actually because we want to be relating to that very consciously. We want to be awake to it because why not actually make these ways we um, relate to darkness conscious so that we can be not defined by them, but guided by another way of seeing in them, by other senses, in order to really live and be the light within them. But we've got to be conscious of them to do that, which is why you sometimes have to talk talk about the topics that seem less overtly joyful but there's a lot of joy in what you're going to hear this morning if you sense it with something other than the obvious and that that video was difficult to find joy in I will give you that so the darkness has many many pluses as we've heard and, and Chris has already mentioned this morning in the creation story it said let there be light and God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness and called the light day and the darkness he called night and the evening and morning were the first day they were that whole experience so where did the dark come from why not just remove the dark altogether if it was such a terrible bad thing why keep it in the story and why put it first? And they, to me, say there's real value in them. It, there must be great value in it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have it. And this story is a picture that both are part of the cycle of our lives and that darkness is where we resurrect each day as part of that cycle. Now, artificial light um, masks so much beauty in the natural world and can make us lose our way, which was the point of that cheerful clip. Um, now, the light bulb was a wonderful invention, but it's actually disrupted quite a lot in our world because rather than working to the natural rhythms of life and when light and 
dark are supposed to work, the wonderful invention that we now have that none of us would be without actually sometimes doesn't do us any favours and actually can mean that instead of going direct routes to things and seeing things in the way that we could see them, we artificially put a lot of things in our own way. Um, and when we avoid the dark through the artificial lights in our life, whatever they might be, when it's actually timely to be in the dark, that creates a problem. So here's some facts for you. Every time we turn on a light after dark, receptors in our eyes and skin send messages to our adrenal, pituitary and pineal glands to stop what they are doing and get ready for the new day. Fluorescent lights and computer screens both flicker on and off at about 60 to 120 cycles a second, which is enough to fool your brain into thinking that the sun's coming up. But even the light from a cell phone charger or a glow-in-the-dark clock can cue your body that morning is underway. And when that happens, your adrenal gland starts pumping more adrenaline into your bloodstream to handle the stress of an ordinary day. That tells your pituitary gland to back off on the human growth hormone your body uses to repair your muscles and bones at night. And it also signals um, you to stop making melatonin, the hormone that regulates your sleep, which you can only do in the dark. So turning on your bedside lamp might help you get safely to the bathroom and back but it will also really upset your chemistry. And I loved that last bit because how many times in life do we feel upset chemistry? We're like, yes, we're not as we should be. Because um, we don't want to rely on our other senses. If you get up in the middle of the night and you don't put the light on, you could crash into something. Um, but rather than adjust and learn how to navigate in the darkness, we reach for the easiest option. And 77%, sorry, 70% of our sense receptors are actually located in their eyes. So when our eyes are working, they're going to take over every other sense that we, we have. Um, now, you can go to a restaurant in London actually, I think it's all over the world, actually, where you can go and eat in the dark. And the, I don't like the idea of it, if I'm honest, because I'm like... Because the whole experience is designed to switch off your other senses so that instead of relating to the people at the table by how you would see and how you would interpret them with your eyes, you have to use other senses. You have to listen. The food apparently is going to taste very different because you can't see what it is you're eating. And it's going to change your whole experience um, of even just something as simple as sitting down to eat. You could try that with your families. <laughs> This evening, just say our evening meal tonight will be in the darkness. Oh, come on, that would be, that would be great, perhaps in the winter. Um, so sometimes we do have to switch off the known artificial lights, the things that we can see in our lives, to actually sense something different. And sometimes life's like a wrecking ball that throws it at you and switches the lights off on your behalf. And uh, actually, there are sometimes great moments to think, well, it's gone dark anyway. I might as well learn how to see in a new way. So this can be part of the wrestle with darkness and where other type of light shines brightest as it's light that passes our understanding and involves a faith journey. So if we're prepared to say, I can't see it, but I'm going to sit with it, we actually start to walk by faith not by sight. We learn things in that space. We grow in that space. We experience in that space. And we see things. And actually, we really need it for our illumination. We need both sides of the whole day. I thought it was very interesting that there's that verse in the psalm that says, taste and see that the Lord is good, which struck me that there's another sense that would help you to see 
something that you might not be able to see. And Jesus also heals a blind man and tells his listeners about how part of his showing up means that people who can't see will get their sight and that other people who believe they can see will become blind. That's actually really powerful. I read this quote in a marvellous book I read this week. It makes me wonder how seeing has made me blind by giving me cheap confidence that one quick glance at things can tell me what they are, by distracting me from learning how the light inside me works, by fooling me into thinking I have a clear view of how things really are, of where the road leads, of who can see rightly and who cannot. I am not asking to become blind, but I have become a believer. There is a light that shines in the darkness, which is only visible there. I just love that. Um, We're never more in danger of stumbling than when we think we can see and know where we're going. And how will we see our own potential blind spots without moments where we question our certainties, our direction, and without switching off our own go-to things that are the ones we always use to light our own way, to give us cheap confidence. And they may not be reliable tools for where we truly, truly want to go. The signal in these, for these moments in your life is when you feel rattled. Um, and we need to be conscious of when the darkness makes us go, just I want to switch something on to make this go away. Um, we need to be very conscious in those moments of the darkness sometimes saying, come here, let me show you something. Let me teach you something, not just being reactive to make those things always go away necessarily. And is what we call light sometimes merely our perception of the way things ought to be? We all have beliefs about the way things ought to be, and sometimes they're what we call light. And if you're not doing things the way things ought to be done, that must be dark. Um, And darkness can be what we call the opposite. And who actually decides what ought to be? Um, There was um, someone um, in our chat where we talk about the Sunday morning put an example of how there was once um, someone who was blind and they were being prayed for very fervently that they might get their sight back. And of course, all the people praying were, you know, absolutely going for it and really, really wanting this person to see. And about partway into this experience, one of them said, do you, to the person who was born blind, would you like to see? To which he replied, oh, I don't know, I've never really thought about it. I just thought it was, I just thought that was incredible because from his perspective, he was seeing. He was just not seeing in the same way, but he had sight, he had a way to navigate his life. And sometimes the way we decide people should see, and obviously I'm using it metaphorically, the way we decide someone else should see, they might be seeing in a way that's actually perfectly adequate for them and we might be imposing other ways to do it so if we didn't see in exactly the same way as the individuals that we are what other things might come to mind how else might we piece life together in ways equally interesting and wonderful and would we make other connections and have other experience like the man in this clip good morning did anyone else think it was strange that he was buying a car i did i thought well you He's entitled to have a car. Why not? Yeah, he was with someone. Someone else could have been buying a car. <laughs> anyway, um, I love this concept. I love how we question and explore different things. Um, I also loved what Hannah said last week. Um, she covered a, a word, I think, that has been 
explored a lot over the past month or so, which is the word seasons. Has anyone meant, uh, kind of noticed that we've covered seasons a little bit? We talked about the season of spring, didn't we, and how there is a season of spring, but there's also a season of spring, and how do we get our spring back within that? Um, seasons is something I'm kind of familiar with from my upbringing. So I grew up on a farm last weekend. We went back to where my mum and dad are and, uh, and where I grew up. And it's fascinating as well going back you kind of uh, get the nostalgia of what it's like being in the countryside and being on a farm and how every year I saw this cycle of the seasons where you'd get your seed and you'd bury it in the ground, it would die, it would resurrect at spring and it would flourish in summer and you'd have all the fields of yellow that you'd walk through and get covered in pollen and then you'd have harvest and then you'd have your seeds again and then you'd sow them back in the ground again and the cycle goes on. So there is a connection between growth and seasons. Um, and something Jenny's mentioned quite a lot recently is how the reason that we actually get together is because we each want to grow. So I wanted to pose you the question this morning, how do you want to grow? Like, what are the areas of your life that you think, I want to grow in that specific area? And what is required for that process of growth to happen? Well, one of the metaphors of what I thought of with darkness was the idea of a seed, because I think um, there's a quote from Jesus which you can whack up. He talked about how unless a grain of wheat is put in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it's buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. And in the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is at the moment destroys that life. But if you let go of that life, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. So I think the challenge that is presented from this is what we have in common with seeds is actually that sometimes we need to go into that darkness in order to grow. So what came to mind for me with darkness was the idea of the unknown. I think when there's a light shone on something, it's familiar, you know what it is. But as soon as you go into the darkness, you kind of don't know. You have to explore a little bit. Like Jen said, you have to use the other senses. But I love what Chris was saying about how our culture represents dark. It's kind of given darkness a bad name. Got some examples here. Star Wars, what do we have in Star Wars? The dark side. And we have Harry Potter. What's this guy called? Voldemort is known as the, the Dark Lord. And also I was thinking the internet. You have the internet that we kind of stroll around on YouTube. But when you get into the deep, dark part of the internet, they call it the dark net or the dark web. Okay, uh, I found a great quote about seeds and darkness that I think might help us as well. Because I think we can see darkness or the unknown or some of those things that maybe haven't been celebrated the way as other things have. And we see them as something scary to be avoided. But I love this quote about seeds. It said, a seed neither fears light nor darkness, but uses both to grow. I love that image. I think there's part of, if you think of the times in your life that have been light and sun, like summery and sunny, or maybe a little bit of a spring season in your life, they're great times. My dad always used to say, you don't have good days and bad days, you have good days and learning days, <laughs> growing days. Because it's those kind of bad days that you think, oh, today really sucked. Sometimes they're the days where you feel like, Actually, that could be an opportunity to grow there. Maybe something came to the surface in you that you think, that was my darkness. I want to explore what that was and how that can help me grow. Or it might be a really difficult time, 
which I don't think we'd want to celebrate especially, but actually sometimes they're the times you really spot the kind of the right opportunity to grow, because sometimes when everything's going great, you don't need to change anything, you know? Okay. So darkness for us might be going through a difficult season. It might be leaving behind familiar thoughts and beliefs. And it might be changing comfortable habits and trying something new and unfamiliar. So I'm going to do something today that for me is a little bit stepping into the darkness. Um, So during lockdown, uh, a friend of mine called Dave got in touch and we kind of reconnected, which was really nice. Um, And he said, oh, I really want to write a musical. Um, So I was like, okay, well, I'll I'll see if we can write some songs. And he had this story. Um, And the story was about a guy who was kind of like a wealthy um, heir to this big business empire, um, and a girl who was poor and blind. Um, And there's a moment in the story where the wealthy guy suddenly is disowned by his father, loses everything he has, and suddenly is plunged into his own little personal darkness. Um, And at that moment in the story, we came up with this song called Welcome to My World, because the girl who's been blind her whole life has literally lived in darkness her whole life. And she then says to him, well, welcome to my world where all you have is trust. And Chris has talked about how sometimes when you're in the darkness, you have to explore the other senses of faith because the unknown isn't there anymore. You never know when you reach out if you'll be met with love. But it's in the darkest night you can start to see the light. So she kind of helps him through that season. Now, I'm going to sing the song. I think it kind of relates to the blindness, also the darkness. Um, I was going to stand and play it there with a big backing track and make it epic, and that's how I tend to roll with things. Um, But Chris said, why didn't you just sing it? And I was like, ooh, no, 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 no. Like, I need a guitar to hide behind or a piano to hide behind. Um, But it's been a great challenge, and I think for me, it's my challenge at the moment to kind of step out from behind what I'm used to into a bit of the unknown. Um, And I'd want to encourage you, figure out what your stepping out into the unknown is today. What is your darkness that might feel a little unfamiliar, um, but it might just be your process to grow? Um, The bridge, I'm just going to leave you with, it says, to find a new horizon... We've got to leave the shore. So let's leave the past behind us because there's a new world to explore. And there's a great adventure beyond our last excuse because when everything's been given, we've got nothing left to lose. Okay, let's give this a go. Okay, so as we bring things to a close, um, I've always been a very well-behaved person But I did have a minor rebellion in my teenage years. And I grew up in a lovely, beautiful little village in the Peak District called Worksworth, where my parents still live. And it was about a population at the time of about 5,000. And in sixth form, my sister is two years older than me. And then um, we were both allowed, when we were in sixth form, obviously at different times because she's older than me, to go out with our friends to one of the local pubs. And then we had to be home by certain time, I think it was midnight, so I had a lot of freedom, Um, um, and then we had to come home, and there was a thing, there was a five-minute walk across the meadows, which was just a very pretty grass area that literally was five minutes from our house, but mum and dad said, just go the long way round with the street lights, so we had to walk the 15-minute long way round, rather than go the five-minute short way round, because there was no street lights, and it was pitch black. Anyway, very recently, I found out that both my sister and I 
separate times, never walked the roadway. We both legged it across the meadows in the dark. And you'd get to the bit where the street lights went off, and you'd just think, I'm just going to run it. I'll be home in two minutes. It was my rebellion, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> it was my one moment of rebellion. Um, but I ran across the meadows in the dark rather than walk the roadway. That was the sum total of my teenage rebellion. Um, I'm very proud of it. But um, the, the reason why we both did that is because it was the fastest way home. And sometimes when you just want to get through a thing in life, the fastest way home is just through the dark. And we try and go the long way round and we look for the streetlights, we look for the shortcuts, we look for the thing that would make it easier. And sometimes to come home to ourselves, to that light within ourselves, and to all the, the richness of the darkness, you're better off going straight through the dark path. Um, so there is a darkness that will take you home. And all of the great spiritual leaders that you read about, including Jesus, had incredible things to say about the relationship between light and darkness and how to interpret these in light of great faith in God. Um, now, the cave I find is really interesting because in many stories, caves are actually known to be places of great enlightenment. People willingly go into the darkest caves to become enlightened, which I think is brilliant because it's, they, they figure, well, if I'm in there, and there's nothing to distract me and nothing else I can see. I'm going to have to find something else. And I think it's brilliant. You know, that moment when Jesus is resurrected, he's been through great pain, a death. The moment of resurrection was in the dark. As Chris said earlier, the moment of pain was in the dark. Apparently, stables were often in, cave, in caves. So it may, might even been that he was born in the dark. So actually, this great story and picture of, of birth and rebirth and resurrection, all beginning in the dark, just like the night turns to day, there's, a, there's an incredibly consistent picture here. And I have found myself in dark caves for minutes, for hours, for days, for months, and sometimes for years where I've thought, I've got to find something in the dark. And I'm actually very grateful for all of those experiences. And I wouldn't change any of them now. But when I woke up wide awake at 1am this morning in the dark, thinking, well, this is apt, um, I realised that I've only ever been grateful for those dark experiences after the event. Some of them, when you're in the middle of them, it's very difficult to think, well, I am grateful for everything that I am learning in this place. And I get that, and I wouldn't belittle that, but there is treasure to be found. And although it's difficult and tricky to be grateful at the time, it is still the best thing you can possibly do to navigate that darkness, because there might be a lot of noise in your own head, but switching on the easiest light just delays and makes the journey home much longer. And um, Last week, we heard about the inseverable bond of light, and that remains very very true. Even in darkness, nothing can separate you from the day. And that is the wonder of what we sense as the gospel, which is the good news. And, and so this is, this is what I'm going to say to close, because what can we expect to hear from God at such times? And that's a big question, and it's not one I'm avoiding, but one I am currently really wrestling to articulate, because implicit in the question is that God may be absent or present. And for me now, that's not a distinction that I can make. 
Um, And I read this, dark and light, faith and doubt, divine absence and presence do not exist at opposite poles. Instead, they exist with and within each other, like distinct waves that roll out of the same ocean and roll back in again. As different as they are, they come from and return to the same source. St. John of the Cross wrote a book called Dark Night of the Soul, and in his native Spanish, his word for God is nada, nothing. No thing. As soon as we define God in set beliefs or states of being present or absent and why that might be, we really stumble. But there is a great power in discovering in those moments and all moments actually what God is not because it turns off our historic confidences and it switches on our other senses. And we may have to keep discovering what God is not in the dark, to find a whole day experience that is. And if that sounds too ill-defined for you, and not according to scripture, you can take the Old Testament one from Moses' burning bush experience, I am who I am, if that's not vague, I don't know what it is, or a New Testament Jesus one, is, if you prefer, before Abraham was born, I am. And what if the name above all names we were singing about at the beginning is because you can't name the name above all names. That, the name above all names is something that is so difficult to name because it's beyond. It takes something beyond our usual go-to sense of how we want to call things and define things to find this. But switching off some things in your life will help you incredibly. Um, if you have heard something that resonates with you this morning, then I want to encourage you to sit with the darkness and ask it what it can teach you and find the light within it that exists to illuminate things you have not yet sensed. And that may feel like a journey into the unknown with all the questions that can bring, but do please take courage because it is certainly not the end of the story. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>